first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Oh, we have not learned from Fern Gully. Gotta stop cutting down trees. Gotta stop being Fern Dummies. Oh, and we gotta start planting some seeds. Cause personally I find it fun to breathe. Whoa. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science, the show that breaks down a film with a comedian and a scientist. I'm Ethan Edinburgh, and today we're discussing Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. It was made in 1992, and I have two wonderful guests joining me today. First off, it's comedian, actress, and writer who has a weekly podcast called Devil's Advocate with Rosebud Baker. It's Rosebud Baker. How's it going, Rosebud? Pretty good. I'm um, I'm super excited. Fern Gully was a, you know, I would go so far as to call it life-changing movie for me. Wow. Yeah, one of my faves. One of my absolute faves. Okay, well, I can't wait to hear why it was so life-changing. But before we get started and I introduce our next guest, we spoke a little bit last week and you mentioned an animal and it's been burned into my head. I, I even saved the image of the animal, but I can't remember what it's called. Do you know what I'm talking about? The one with all the like... Pangolin. Pangolin. Oh my God. Thank you. Pangolin. Yes, it was a pangolin. Okay, well, <laughs> most of this podcast is going to be dedicated to pangolins now just because of my obsession. But uh, let me introduce who's going to help us break it down. She is a conservation scientist, a large carnivore ecologist, and a fellow at the National Geographic Society. It's Dr. Ray Wynn Grant. Hello, thank you for having me. Absolutely, thank you for being here. And for you, I have to ask off the bat, your involvement with this show, Born Wild, I just saw the trailer today, as I think I mentioned to you, and it's just like adorable sequence after adorable sequences. It's like cute baby animals. There's a there's a clip of you taking out this tiny bear. Can, can you tell me about this show? The show? I am so pumped for the show. I mean, it is... Always amazing to share screen time with all of the awesome Nacho explorers that are my colleagues. But what I love the most is when I can actually show people what I do for a living and how damn cool it is. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, like a lot of people don't realize that I get to like snuggle baby bears, like wild baby bears in the name of science wow. um, as part of my real life. And so if that's any kind of hook to get people to tune in... <laughs> Um, I hope that works. <laughs> it's definitely better than snuggling baby bears in the name of just like, that's how you get affection. You know, right. like, it's like, if it's not for science, what is it for? Yeah, then you have, <laughs> there's some serious issue we need to dig up. If that's the only way you can get through your day, right. you need to be ejected from the forest. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, probably true. But I have to say, it's pretty awesome. So is your specialty bears? Is that why you were, you know, holding a bear in that clip? Or are you just um, on the search for the world's most adorable animal? Oh, wow. Yeah. So a little bit of both. Um, but I'm a carnivore ecologist. That's my job. That's the type of science that I do. And I study large carnivores, mainly um, North American bears, like grizzly bears and black bears and African lions. So my active research projects are on bears right now. And so I was, you know, kind of demonstrating some of the work I do in my my current research. So like my real everyday life. Whoa. Wow. And are you not scared because the mama bear's got to be around the corner? No. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what everyone will see in the show is kind of the whole process start to finish. And what we do is we have to sedate the mother bear. So whenever we're dealing with big scary grown bears, we have to give them an injection that puts them to sleep before we do any type of science. So that way it actually makes them not stressed out. It's like the humane thing to do, keep mm-hmm. their stress levels low, also keeps us alive through the whole process um, while we, you know, take a look at her kiddos. <laughs> and are you shooting a blow dart from a helicopter at the mama bear for safety? <laughs> No. So uh, we went into a bear den. So bears hibernate in the winter. You know, we filmed this in the winter. Um, I don't want to give too many spoilers out here because you guys got to tune in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, bears hibernate in the winter. So we know exactly where to find them. And they're in one spot and they're pretty sleepy. So they're not going to, you know, like get up and run away really quickly. So it allows us to get pretty, pretty close. So we use what we call a jab stick, which is like kind of a big pole, like the, the length of a broomstick. And on the end is a little syringe. And so we just kind of stick it into the den, give her a little shot on her shoulder. It doesn't hurt, kind of like a flu shot. And then wait about five minutes till she's sedated and falls asleep. Do the science we need to do, then put the babies back with their mama, cover it back up and act like we were never there. Nice. Wow. Well, that's incredible. I love the name Jabstick. I I really couldn't get past that. (laughs) I'm like, I was, I could use that in several aspects of my life. (laughs) Yeah. Or just like a cool nickname, right? Couldn't that just be like, call over Jabstick. He's the guy with the hookup. (laughs) Just seems like, I don't know, something cool about Jabstick. I want to get to know him. Anyways, obviously I could ask you about your, your specialties all day. I want to know about your entire life. However, we do need to talk about Fern Gully and Fern Gully is all about the rainforest, right? It's like a huge, it's basically a PSA movie telling us about deforestation and, you know, the bad guy is uh, these people chopping down trees. Um, well, t- but technically, I guess it's like a steam evil force called Hexus, um, not the actual machinery itself, but he like powers the machinery. But anyways, I wanted to start off with the, the COVID-19 in a positive way, because some people, you know, uh, first of all, I don't know how we could do a podcast podcast and not talk about it. We're all in separate places uh, due to this thing. But people are saying that there are positive aspects of it. So I thought we could just start with some of those if you know about it or feel comfortable telling us about it. Like, are rainforests being helped right now? Is the is the pollution in the air decreasing? You know, are we slowing down climate change? Are there, are there positive aspects to this quarantine? Ooh, well, I don't want to make too broad of statements, even though you just asked me to be positive. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, what is like a little bit more silent in the news right now is that while the American attention is on COVID. Uh, The administration is rolling back a lot of EPA regulations right now regarding pollution and things like deforestation. So my news feeds are kind of full of like environmental news right now, which is, which is worse and worse and worse every day. Really? Um, 
It, yeah, it's bad news. I mean, it's like the things that are going on with environmental legislation right now are happening very, very rapidly while no one's paying attention. Are there benefits that are coming from like nobody's in their cars? I noticed like in LA, you can walk around, you can see the mountains better than you've ever been able to, you know what I mean? Are there positive things that are coming from it at all? Aside from the fact that the federal government is full of criminals, (laughs) like is there, are there benefits to the fact that everyone's sheltering in place? You know, absolutely. Like, and, and, you know, gosh, see, you guys are starting me off on like my pessimistic foot. I swear to you, Perfect. I am the biggest optimist. I swear. But I was going to say they're, they're kind of temporary. You know, the way it looks right now is that they're kind of temporary benefits. So definitely, you know, having so many cars off the street, I think globally, like in urban areas all over the world, we are seeing such a reduction in pollution. It is beautiful. Like the earth is like singing right now. And the big question is, you know, like it, the, that's likely not going to last forever unless people are continued to allow to be, you know, working from home for forevermore, which I think would be great for a lot of jobs. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, if we want to just take a snapshot of right now, like air pollution is clearing up in so many places, but we shouldn't go so far as to say that like, this is a benefit to, you know, reversing climate change because that is, that is unfortunately not the case. Damn. So it would take something much more severe than even this to effectively change the climate. Something much more long term. I mean, we're on month two of, you know, being in lockdown and, you know, we would need like years and years and years. And also, you know, we're talking about Fern Gully and one of the first things you mentioned was the rainforest, you know, like how are rainforests doing? And it's kind of like, oh, unfortunately, you know, the places where we have rainforests still have like governments that are so driven by, you know, capitalistic gains from deforesting rainforests and We still got to keep fighting. So that's what I got to say. Like while we're all at home and while we're like breathing fresh air, we got to keep up the fight. How about that? Yeah. It's so crazy to me that the government is like, well, here we have a chance to really reduce our footprint and do something good for the environment. But let's make sure during this time we find a way to screw the environment in a different way. (laughs) It's just the opposite of do no harm is their whole thing. Yeah, you know, that's the problem with the government because, you know, here and there, I also hear these stories about, you know, what's going on with, you know, funding for Medicaid and, you know, just like the things that are kind of happening behind the scenes that aren't making the headlines right now. I'm sure there's so much amazing stuff that we're also not seeing as headlines, but unfortunately for the environment, it's like still a mess. You know, I I really think that the best thing I can say is, you know, put on your mask people and go vote in November because we need, we need some changes. Nice. Yeah. 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 Big time. Um, I mean, it's nice to get the positive part of it and, and all, but I, I am glad you're giving us the real here, Dr. Ray, because uh, th- that's what made me so mad about the movie as well. It's just like, how is this not illegal yet? Like, how are these governments still allowed to just tear down so much rainforest? I started looking up facts about how much rainforest we're losing. And it's, uh, it just feels illegal. It feels like it's a mob run operation here. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, the numbers are pretty mind boggling. You know, it can be a little bit easier to digest when you think about how much rainforest is left. 
And there is some good news there. So like if you think about things, places like the Amazon, right, super, super iconic, there's mm-hmm. a portion of the Amazon that is in the Andes Mountains, right? The Andean Amazon. And that area is likely not going to be deforested because mountains are not an easy place to like plant mm-hmm. agriculture, you know, or, you know, do some of the resource extraction that they're doing in flat land. So Mm. there are some places where the topography is actually saving the space from, you know, from being removed. So all is not lost, but, you know, rainforests are so critically endangered. Like it's 2020, you know, we were getting movies about this in apparently 1992 yep. and it's, it's still the case. And we have much less rainforest today than we did in 1992. So, you know, we might need like a Fern Gully part two or something to come out. I'm all for a Fern Gully part two, first of all. And uh, secondly, yes. <laughs> secondly, Rosebud and I are going to write it tonight. Um, but secondly, <laughs> we, uh, I, I've been playing some, some Animal Crossing. And in that game, you can just create terrain. So is that the answer? Do we just need to, to lift up the rainforest so it's like on jagged cliffs and stuff? <laughs> that might be the answer. I mean, there's some like, this is me getting all scientific, but there's some species that like need to live at low elevations. Mm-hmm. But there's there's got to be something we can do. I mean, I think we need to just sprinkle a little magic in there to keep people off those trees. Well, we can also, we can have low elevation sections, you yeah. know, it can go up and down to help everybody. But I think, yeah. and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I just solved deforestation. No? I mean, it sounds like it. Yeah, you said there's a game that taught you how to do this. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, <laughs> Nintendo Switch game. So I guess technically I'm, I was inspired by that, but I still should deserve the credit or a Nobel Peace Prize or something. I don't know. yeah you know like so just make your app readily available for everybody you know take it to the jungle and i think we got Mm -hmm. our problem solved okay great um i was gonna also propose another idea was uh, a month of quarantine every year but from your answer before it sounds like actually that wouldn't be like effective enough Uh, Yeah, but it doesn't hurt. So let me not say that it's not a good idea. Mm. I mean, there are some countries like I want to say Ecuador is an example of a country that actually limits uh, the days of the week you can drive. Right. So it's like, you know, people whose last names are between, you know, like. L and Z get to drive Tuesdays, Thursdays. And if your last name is at the beginning of the alphabet, you get to drive Monday, Wednesdays, and no one drives Fridays. I mean, there are some really interesting urban places that have those restrictions for the sake of air pollution. And they've seen a lot of um, positive outcomes from that. Yeah. I love that, that it's like an arbitrary categorization. That's so cool. That's great. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, Americans hate being told what to do, even if it will be in your best interest at the end of the day. But I would, I love to see that happening. I'd love to see more countries just try things out, you know, just see how we can, you know, just shift some of these pollution patterns and just have like a more beautiful, enjoyable environment. Yeah. If you're allergic to peanuts, you you drive on Friday. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yes. If you're allergic to peanuts, you don't get to drive at all. That's what I would say. (laughs) Yeah. Where are you going? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So let's get into the film here. Rosebud, you said it was a life-changing film for you. So I assume that means... Uh, like I did, because it was it was a pretty big deal when it came out in 92 that you saw it when you were a kid. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. 
And I was, um, I was very young and I remember, um, you know how like a lot of guys say that their first crush was on Nala from the Lion King. Um, (laughs) no, I've never heard that. I have also never heard that. (laughs) Maybe that's just an open mic thing. I I definitely heard that (laughs) a lot at open mics, but I remember guys saying, oh yeah, I was attracted to Nala from the Lion King. I was attracted to the most evil, stupid surfer guy you could be attracted to. And it was the guy cutting down the trees in Fern Gully. And I was very... Uh, Zach. Yes, I was attracted to Zach. And, um, you know... (laughs) Totally makes sense. I was really... I was kind of conflicted about it because I knew he was a bad dude. But there was just something about him, you know? When he would ice skate in that cave with Krista, I was... I felt something, okay? And it was something I couldn't tell my parents about. Zach so, was not uh, all that bad of a dude. I think, I guess he was like, yeah. he, he seemed like he didn't care. He seemed like, okay, at the beginning at least. Like he kind was of, like apathetic at the beginning, but right. he wasn't evil. I mean, there was like actual evil spirits in the movie. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, Zach that's... turned around pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Once Zach saw what was going on, it took him a few tries, actually. I can't say once he saw it, but like I think after... the thing that confused me about Zach, though, was like whether or not he was a teenager. Because I was thinking like... <laughs> He has a pretty adult job for someone who's like clearly 15. (laughs) Right. I would say apathetic and not exactly evil is my type. So it all pretty much does check out. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, at least he came around. He's all about the rainforest at the end, although... I mean, clearly it didn't work. He he must have give, given up at some point his activism because, uh, you know, deforestation is still so real. Well, Zach. I mean, he like, I mean, come on. He made a big promise at the end of the movie, right? Where he said, I can change this. I'm a human. I can talk to other humans and make sure that we never do this again. And then he mm-hmm. goes back to his human world. I think he got a little preoccupied with whatever was going on back in the early 90s real right. world. And kind of forgot about his buddies in the forest, because look at us now. Yeah. And he's got one crazy story that no one will believe. Right. Yeah. He might actually be locked up like in a psych ward or something. <laughs> that's that's okay. Fern Gully 2. That's how Fern Gully 2 starts. <laughs> Listen, I'm not pissed about it. I'm just, it was an interesting observation on uh, the men I grew up to date, for sure. <laughs> I, I, If anything, I, I'm pissed at Disney. Was it Disney that made Fern Gully? I don't think so, because I think Aladdin came out at the same time and there was like a dispute on whether or not Robin Williams should do Fern Gully because they didn't want him doing like both. And then he said that he cared about the cause, which is really cool and wanted to do it. Yeah, it did not seem like a Disney movie to me. What didn't seem Disney? You know, it was like a little sexy. (laughs) I'm so glad you said that. (laughs) You know, honestly. Like I was seven, but still like look at like having just rewatched it. I was kind of like, oh, yeah, this isn't Disney. This is like random other animation company (laughs) turning it up a notch. Right. Yeah. They made it. um, They were like, we're going to let these kids know what they're (laughs) we're going to do a little little home education. Did that strike you guys as too much or strange because I certainly wrote down a couple notes that the love story felt very weird, very forced. It seemed like the the uh, Crystal, was that her name? Crystal? Crystal? Crystal. That she was like wearing lipstick and like biting her lip when they were uh, together, like in those underground ponds and stuff. So 
I don't know. I wanted to to hear what you guys thought. Yeah. I mean, I'll start. I thought like I was kind of <laughs> feeling a little uncomfortable, like at the very beginning when it was clear that there was a male fairy who was super into her and he like mm-hmm. would not let up. Like she did not want him and right. she was making it obvious. And he was super problematic, right? Like kind of toxic, <laughs> jealous, like getting in yeah. the way. Definitely. Of course, he, you know, he came around at the end and, you know, in the name of saving the rainforest. But I was kind of like, dude, like back off, right? Jeez. Totally. Like no means no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Christian Slater. Christian Slater. Yeah, exactly. That's who it was. Mm-hmm. Oh my he was god, a, he was a jerk. <laughs> That's so funny to me. Christian Slater was a bit of a jerk. Yeah, I I remember watching it, and I mean, I did not rewatch the movie. I'll be honest. I have such a strong memory of it from when I was a kid that I felt like I didn't need to. Because I just remember it being like the sexiest thing I've ever seen. Like I remember remember being eight and just being like, (laughs) I love this. Like it was like, it's like when a, when a teenage boy discovers like softcore porn, you know, like that's Uh how I felt about Fern Gully. And I would watch that movie. I was like, I want to walk around in a loincloth and meet someone cutting down a tree um, and mm-hmm. teach them a lesson about the ecosystem. <laughs> Ferngully was your softcore porn. I totally, yes. I, that makes sense. A hundred percent. Yeah. I had a, it was more there, than just a uh, environmental awakening, you know? <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. We also can't, touch on the sexual romantic nature of the movie without talking about Tim Curry's character, Hexus, who sings a song called Toxic Love that I read that they had to like edit out certain lyrics because it got too much. He's like talking about being horny for oil and shit. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like a good song. Like that was the other thing that seemed like not Disney-like to me about the movie is that the songs were like, also kind of sexy i mean i mean they weren't yeah they weren't like innocent like kind of pop songs they were like mm-hmm. kind of adult yep. like the rock and roll song you know which was like really edgy and like of the era like generation x or whatever like yep. super rocking out and then yeah the like sexual toxic oil ballad thing I yeah. love that, by the way. I don't know how you guys feel uh, in general. I can tell you straight up that I was very hit or miss with this movie as far as music goes. Like there was the Robin Williams rap, which is like super fantastic. <laughs> totally reminds me of the genie and Aladdin. I thought I love that song and that sequence. And then I love Tim Curry's song. Toxic love is fantastic. But then there's like the tone loke song. If I'm going to eat somebody, it might as well be you, which I just had no idea what we're getting at with that oh, song. That was the uh, the big lizard, like the kind of Gila monster. Yeah. Like yeah. uh-huh. That uh-huh. one was weird. Then there was a song towards the beginning where I think I think the main lyric is life is a magic thing. Yeah, yeah. They just kind of repeated that a few times. Like, what is what are we saying? What <laughs> that's all we got? Yeah. Life is a magic yeah. thing. Who was paid for this? <laughs> right. There were definitely but I I remember every song in that movie when I was a kid just being like, This slap. <laughs> like, I remember yeah. showing my little sisters and being like, 
listen, this is a certified tune. Like, <laughs> getting psyched about it. I mean, if I'm going to eat somebody, it might as well be you. I, I remember singing along to that. Like, it made perfect sense. And just being like, absolutely. Yeah, I'll buy that. Like, it definitely had a lot of, like, cool hip hop elements for sure. Yeah. I just think, I think what appealed to me about the movie was like, it was a movie for kids, but it in no way should have been a movie for kids. And I think right. I just like wanted that as a kid. This was like around the age that I like learned how to curse and I, I loved cursing and I was like learning what the kind of pers- adult I wanted to be, which was an inappropriate one. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, this is my movie. This is it. Yeah, pushing you know? the envelope a little bit. Ren and Stimpy style. Pushing the envelope for a good cause. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, before we move on from the music, I do have to tell people, like, if you haven't seen this in a while or you haven't seen it at all, at the very least, look up Toxic Love and watch this sequence. It's crazy. It's trippy, straight it up. It's <laughs> a really, like, the animation during that is insane, and I was like losing, I've, I've shot up in my seat and I was like, whoa, like even today, you know, a lot of the animation could look dated or, you know, when you watch old Disney movies, you kind of get that vibe a little bit. It's classic, but it feels like it was made 20 years ago. But if I just saw that toxic love today, I'd be like, this is super sick. Who did this? Yeah, it is very trippy. I remember making a revisit to Fern Gully on mushrooms in my teenage years and being like, whoa. <laughs> that seems like for me a terrible idea yeah it it made an impact in my life and on multiple levels (laughs) it's it's, it almost feels like i was on mushrooms just watching the movie by itself so i can't imagine what that must have been like well not a good idea but uh definitely interesting okay so i have a bunch of deforestation questions i'll start with the one of the dumbest ones i would think which is that Are trees actually spray painted with a red X? (laughs) Uh, Like, that's not out of the question. I mean, what I thought was interesting was that some of the guys in the movie, their job was to like spray paint trees with a red X. But then we see in the movie that they just cut down all the trees. So like that was right. Yeah. Like like they deforest the rainforest is not like they're like oh well like we don't need a skinny tree so let's let that one stand like they just cut it all down Um, yeah what's the point of having they're paying a guy a salary to go out there and well who knows if it's a salary it just turns out that zach is like zach is just tagging trees he's not even part of the company (laughs) yeah he's just just a crazy person that wants to tag the rainforest he thinks he's the next banksy oh it makes sense because he looks like he just took a train in from philly you know? Yeah, he doesn't belong there. You're and right. And also, like, spray paint was, like, really important in the early 90s. Like, if you had a right. can of spray paint, like, you were cool. So yeah, that's true. That, like, he was, like, really, you know, he had some cachet there. Yeah. Okay, so I, I looked up some, like I said, deforestation stuff, and I just wanted to, to yeah, get your take on it, see what's true, what's not. It says that we lose over 80,000 football fields worth of rainforest every day. You know if that's accurate? Because that sounds like 80,000 too many. <laughs> no, it's it's accurate. You know what's hard is that a lot of it, a lot of these football field size swaths of rainforest that we're losing every day are getting turned over, right? So in Fern Gully, we see like smoke and fire and like 
barren land where there used to be rainforest. It's not necessarily the timber that's so valuable in every place where there's rainforest. It's like what you can do with that land. So although timber Mm. is valuable, it's like once you deforest it, often you're planting plants, right? You're planting, you know, oil palm plants, you're planting corn fields. So it's like still a green space. So it's not like we now have like brown or, you know, like dry spaces. It's still a green space, but it is not a wild space. It is not a space with trees that can sequester carbon. You know, it is now a space like full of pesticides and, you know, um, fertilize, you know, artificial fertilizers. And it's not a healthy place, but it still might technically look green if you're flying over it. Okay, interesting. And do you think that there's a comes a point because NASA says that we could have all forests gone in a hundred years. Yes, yes, that is entirely possible. Absolutely. The only places right now, like in the world, that are actually kind of protected from that are protected areas, right? Like national parks, for lack of a better term. And there's mm-hmm. national parks in you know most countries in the world, but they are tiny, right? They're like teeny tiny. Think of you know what if we just yeah. had Yosemite and like Yellowstone and places like that left in our country that were wild and green. That would suck. It would suck. And so I I completely I mean we could I think lose all of the forests even before then. Um. Wow. That's so disappointing. And yeah. I mean, are there, I assume, initiatives to expand the national parks? Like, do you think that's the answer? Because my terraforming thing is too ridiculous. You know, um, if, it depends on who you ask. I don't want to get like too much into my like science philosophy, you know, kind of talk right now. I do. But, you know, that's like, that's one strategy is to just protect more places. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. like when we set up, say, a national park, it's super exclusive, right? So that means that like people are removed from places in order to create national parks. Like that was the case uh, in this country, in the United States. And it's a case in like many, many countries all over the world. People who depend on the land, who use it sustainably and responsibly are displaced mm-hmm. and often not cared for in order to make national parks happen. Is there a middle ground situation where, you know, it's not a full on national park protected, you can't touch it, but it's a sustainable community initiative uh, situation? Those can happen. Those absolutely can happen. But it it kind of, you know, once again, it kind of reduces people's like options for what they want to do with their land. Like say they own land, right? Like in the United States, people who like lived in a place and for lack of a better term, own their land were like still taken away and taken off of it and like told they couldn't live there anymore anyway. Like what I would preach, what I think is just like total innovation, like completely disrupt the system. Let's just make deforestation obsolete, right? Like let's make, you know, mm-hmm. monoculture, oil palm plantations or corn fields just not necessary, Right. Like like they're tearing down the rainforest in parts of, say, South America to plant corn plantations because cows need to eat corn or we have been feeding cows corn. Right. Right. But if we like have fewer cows or maybe feed them grass, like imagine that, then we'd actually don't need to cut down the rainforest to make more space for corn. And like oil palm is just like a super cheap way to get oil. Right. It's like the cheapest type of oil. It's in your candy bars, it's in your shampoo, it's in your like junk food. And so if we actually just like stop producing like refined oils from, you know, palm trees, 
then we also need to st- like it'll stop making it necessary to cut down the rainforest to make these plantations. So it's like mostly agriculture that is destroying the rainforest. And so if we can kind of disrupt that a bit more, especially like when I say we, like people with privilege and power in like wealthier countries, like if we can really start driving that, it'll help. Like one thing that's already begun helping is like how today in 2020, we are so like we use so little paper. You know, like when Fern Gully came out in 92, it was like paper is all there was, right? Like we use paper for everything all the time, paper, paper, paper. So like trees needed to be cut down for that. Right. Today, that is definitely not the case. And so that's like a good thing. Like we innovated, we disrupted things and like we don't need those resources as much. I think we can do that with agriculture. I think we can do it, you know, with other natural resources. And that's what we really need. Wow. Okay. And rainforests... um... Well, first of all, when are you announcing your campaign for president? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm pretty sure I announced it like around the time Fern Gully made its debut. I'm almost 100% positive I was telling people (laughs) that I would be the president. And like, I'm not so sure. I remember like being like eight or nine and learning that like, presidents had been assassinated in the past and i was like oh oh like absolutely not like i'm not yeah, like, uh, skip that yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i'll take my chances with bears and lions are you let me ask you this are you vegan that's a great question i am not i am not vegan and well, I, I, i'm not either but i was just curious because that was the first time that i really was explained to me everybody's like oh yeah veganism is so great for the environment but nobody really ever explains why and when you look at like oh we're feeding cows corn because there's so many cows and they don't think it's feasible to like feed them grass. Right. And corporations yeah, aren't really fatter, on that Let's get fatter uh, more quickly on carbs. Right. And corn is like the cheapest carb. And so that's why we give it to them. Um, right. But yeah, like a lot of people don't explain why being vegan or, you know, the way they say it these days, having a plant-based diet Mm-hmm. is uh, better for the environment. It absolutely is, but there are caveats. So I would encourage everyone to do it. I like am usually plant-based. I'm not a vegan and I don't think I ever will be a vegan or a vegetarian, mostly because of the field work I do. So like when I'm mm-hmm. out in the field, like when I'm in parts of Central Africa or like even in the wilderness right. in Montana. Like, do you have a vegan option? <laughs> Sometimes all there is to eat like around a campfire yeah. is like whatever you can hunt yourself. Right. And so I, I was a vegetarian for many, many years before I started doing field work. And then I learned that like sometimes actually the only thing available to me is meat. So I have to survive. Yeah. I mean, it's like that on the road as a comic. So I can't even imagine if you're like in the middle of a... <laughs> Exactly. And you just got to be flexible. But I mean, like, even vegans or vegetarians, like you can really overdo it, right? Like soy is a great like replacement for a lot of like protein that you might miss if you're not eating meat. But like, you know, soy plantations are problematic. Or if you think about like, if you're not doing dairy, right, and you're putting almond milk, in your coffee or you're buying almond milk for whatever reason, like almonds use so much water (laughs) and really displace water resources and are like almond plantations, even in the United States are super non-sustainable. Like almond milk is bad for the environment, even though it might be like better for your, you know, like gut health. So there's a lot of trade-offs, like nothing is perfect, but really being like mindful and aware of like the supply chain and like the environmental impact of your 
food choices is the best thing. Right. Wow. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I try to get my meat from local farm sources where, you know, animals are free to roam, et cetera. So I think that's another good alternative, right? Is like support your local farmers. Yeah. And and just reduce, like reduce your meat intake. Like if everyone reduced, we would see rainforests thriving way more. Like it doesn't take wow. a complete elimination, but it's like if you just like scale it back by like a day or two, if you're weak without meat, without dairy, like it would make a huge, huge impact. But that's a collective action. Like everyone has to do it. Yeah. We yeah. need some sort of uh, dare, COVID milk disease. Yeah. Get everybody off of it. Um, I wanted to bring up a couple other few ways that I have read that we would be like totally and utterly screwed without the rainforest. Um, so just, I don't know, thought experiment. I was reading that it's crucial for drinking water to, to have the rainforest and that a lot of our oxygen is provided by the rainforest and that like a quarter of all medicines have been found in the rainforest. So can you can you speak to that? I'm so glad you said the thing about medicine because that's what came to mind for me first is that like, you know, even like the basic medicines, like the aspirins and, you know, all of those things that we really take for granted, like originated um, from plant sources in tropical environments. And a lot of scientists, you know, botanists out there truly believe that there are some like serious cures to diseases that we, meaning kind of like Western society, haven't picked up on yet that are like waiting for us in the plant communities in the rainforest for sure for sure so So, i mean isn't it it's like sorry to interrupt but isn't it like then just logical that if we had more rainforest we could be finding more cures yes that is logical like you have to factor in like capitalism and like the pharmaceutical industry wanting to like make synthetic drugs or wanting to well this is me like conspiracy theory, but like <laughs> profiting from people remaining sick, like right. that is also a thing because if we're curing stuff, then like there's a whole industry that no longer has a foot to stand on. It's, um, all, it's all cool when you're getting rich off of it until you have the disease. Absolutely. Right? But then you might be rich enough to go to the rainforest and find the cure just for yourself. Oh my God. Could you imagine if like the kings of pharmaceutical companies have like a bunch of vials of cures to diseases, but they're like, well, these are just for me and my family. I can imagine. Well, that was in Contagion. Have you seen Contagion yet? I mean, I don't know if you guys are the type that, but when this whole pandemic hit, my first reaction was, okay, I'm going to watch every movie about an outbreak um, (laughs) that's ever been made. And I watched Contagion and Outbreak and um, all these other movies like back to back just to scare myself. And um, nice. Cool move. Yeah. No, it was a great way to spend my time. (laughs) between that and the news um when i was watching contagion one of the characters in there is like working at the cdc and he like makes sure that when he gets the vaccine like his wife gets it first right and i was just thinking there's definitely people who are doing that now i mean people were complaining about celebrities getting Mm. tested yeah i again i i'm I'm with dr ray on this i don't want it to turn into conspiracy podcast um although we probably should do some sort of bonus conspiracy episodes but (laughs) i totally believe in that stuff i think there's definitely people at the top who you know i don't know if i want to go as far as to say as like have the cures for cancer and are just sitting on them but i think they definitely like water stuff down the way like when you go to a bar and you get a coke like it's not a legit coke like there's something they're pumping some water into that 
machine or something, you know? For sure. Absolutely. I will say like, I have my own personal anecdote that kind of supports your conspiracy. Um, And I will share it. I'll make it concise. But you know, I spent a lot of time in like extremely wild parts of the world. And I spent years living in parts of East Africa, mainly with my nearest neighbors were people of the Maasai tribe who like choose to live a very traditional tribal lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And there was one time years ago, I was actually having like, I'd been diagnosed with, you guys will love this, irritable bowel syndrome. Love so it. So like my whoa, life. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are we going to love it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was a tough time to like be me and be a field biologist. But I got that diagnosis at like Yale University Hospital, right? Mm-hmm. And then like still hmm. was brave enough to go off and do my field work. And I remember explaining to someone like in the community or trying to like through my broken Swahili that like I couldn't eat some certain things because like I had like a stomach problem and I didn't get to go very far into what my stomach problem was, but I was able to kind of communicate like, oh no, can't eat this. Like, because my stomach, this man from the Maasai tribal community went into the forest, right? The next day found some special tree, hacked some of its root off, brought it back to me gave me these instructions. He said, take this root, make a big cauldron of water, like a fill a big cauldron with water, like the biggest pot you can find, fill it with water, put it over a fire and boil this, like bring this to a boil. So I did. And the water turned bright red, like, like a, like a synthetic dye color red. Yeah. Bright red. And he said, drink, don't eat anything. Don't drink anything except this until it's gone. Oh my God. Like, it might take you two days. It might take you like a week, depending on like how much you can chug this. It was the most bitter, foul tasting tea. Oh my God. For lack I can't of a better you did word. It. I did it. I mean, it was like, I did a lot of things, I guess, like when I was living with the Maasai <laughs> that like under normal circumstances, yeah. I don't think them. I would, but I trusted them and I did. And so I made sure like it tasted so bad. I made sure like it just took me like two and a half days to drink it down. Wow. It was horrible. And I, mean, I, if I was in an unknown place and somebody was like, Hey, people, I know this sounds crazy, but people here do it. I'd be like, all right. Well, if I can't stop yeah. shitting, I'm going to drink it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if yeah. there's no, if I'm outside of my comfort zone and there's no bathrooms that I'm comfortable in, I'm going to do it. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like you have nothing to lose, right? Like, you're just like, well, right. also, like, these people live to be like 130 years old. So, like, they obviously Jesus. know something. Yeah. Um, So anyway, I drank this. It was disgusting. But let me tell you, I was completely cured. I mean, I'm not saying like I felt better for a while. Like I was cured like six months later when I finally made it back to the States, like went back to Yale Hospital, got checked out. My doctor was like, how are you? How do you not have this horrible disease that you that plagued you for years? I'm like, oh, I drank this root D from like the Tanzanian bush that this Maasai warrior went and cut up for me. I mean, completely cured for the rest of my life. So that is my anecdote. And this was like, I didn't even like go into my symptoms with this man. I just had like stomach problem. And he's like, he's like, Oh, stomach got it. it. Yeah. Got it. (laughs) Like we have something for that. We don't get sick. Here you go. 
<laughs> right. You're not blind as well, are you? Because the blind tree is right next to that one. Right, exactly. I mean, they have something for, for everything. And again, like I'm saying, like these people live long, healthy lives. It's amazing. And that's, again, that's part of the forest. Like that is completely from the forest. Um, so to wrap this up on on hopefully a positive note, what, what are some things we can do to help? I mean, obviously, I assume planting trees would be, you know, the the main one. But it, are, are, are there groups just doing that, like going out and just trying to plant more and more, like add to the rainforest? Uh, is there a specific group you think that we should, you know, uh, support? Yeah. So like, listen, I will never tell you not to plant trees because planting trees is incredibly helpful. It's just like at such a small scale. So the great thing, like the great piece of news is that rainforests are super, super resilient. So like leaving them alone allows them to regenerate like actually pretty quickly. So really it's Hmm. like any effort to halt deforestation to just make sure it just stops in its tracks and doesn't continue. And if there's a possibility of just like letting the rainforest return to its natural natural state, it likely will. Like they're pretty resilient. Great. Okay. Well, Rosebud, if you had any deforesting trips planned, um, or or you know, you're doing comedy at a big deforestation event, if you yeah, wouldn't mind canceling, it'd be great. Yeah, please reconsider, although they've got the big bucks, so. (laughs) Yeah, I'm canceling all my gigs anyway, so I might as well. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Well, where can people, uh, obviously they should listen to Devil's Advocate with Rosebud Baker, um, but uh, where can people find you online and is there, you know, something else you want people to get into? Yeah. Um, so they can find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at Rosebud Baker. I, I joined TikTok against uh, the advice of my peers. And also I have another podcast that comes out every day about the quarantine. It's called Find Your Beach. And it's me and my fiance. We got engaged on the second day of quarantine. We've been doing a podcast every day since then. Wow. So if you want to watch two people just lose their minds, um, it's very silly (laughs) and very fun. So they can they can subscribe to that on wherever they hear their podcast. Okay, beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds great. Um, And uh, and Dr. Ray, obviously, uh, Born Wild is going to come out at some point soon, I presume. Yes. So this is easy to remember. It comes out on Earth Day. Earth Day is Wednesday, April 22nd. So coming right up. Great. Born Wild is at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. And it's a full hour of things that will make you smile, like just being taken into the wild, wild natural world and seeing all the best baby animals, the tiny ones and the humongous ones. So I really can't wait for people to see it. I mean, this is an Earth Day that we have to like stay inside, which is incredibly ironic. So I think if you're going to stay inside, you might as well watch the nature show. Yeah. Yeah. Very well put. Couldn't agree with it more. So excited for this show. And both of you are such absolute badasses. I thank you so much for being on the program. And I guess we'll we'll talk for Fern Gully too. Um, I mean, it's going to be tough to create like a subtitle because this one's already the last rainforest. So yeah. I don't know if you guys yeah. have any pitches we'll for just that. Say, we'll just say the rainforest is actually pretty resilient. So there's <laughs> actually one more left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just leave it alone, please. There's still yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you both and see you later. Bye. Thank you bye. too. Bye bye. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our associate producer is Emily Feld. Our engineer is Jeremy Schmidt. Bad Science is edited by Lucas Bollinger and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. I love you. 
don't tell my girlfriend. The executive produce like fresh produce, healthy produce from the ground producer is Brett Kushner. Oh, follow us on Instagram at BadSciencePod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at BadScienceAtSeeker.com. That's BadScienceAtSeeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver, but we really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Bye.